friends, welcome to the Pelican Project Podcast. I'm Crystal. And I'm Kelly. We want to invite you to pull up a chair and join us in the conversation this week. So this week, something very exciting happened. Oh, yes it did. She can barely, she can barely contain it. Why don't you tell us you're dying to? I will definitely. Um, thank you for asking, even though I told you to ask me. <laughs> Oh, it's very na- very natural course of conversation. Crystal asked me this. I need to brag. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so I had we were able to record the podcast with Kristen Hawkins, and it was it was so wonderful. She is just a really wonderful woman, and I love. Um, you know, I've said this before on our podcast. Students for Life is such a necessary just part of the pro-life movement and an interesting thing, an interesting part of the conversation that Chris and I had, it was like 45 minutes. So whenever it releases, we will let you know because it was so fun. But one thing that she mentioned that was very interesting is that after the um, kind of overturn of Roe v. Wade, after it gets sent back to the States, you know, we had the dog's case, there seemed to be this shift. And she said she feels it most, especially in Catholic high schools and Christian high schools where it came time to go to the March or, you know, like, and they just sort of sat back and put their feet up kind of like, we did it like kind of wiping our brow. We made huge progress. This March is no longer necessary type deal. Now, of course, I'm not saying that all Catholic schools would feel that way. And of course, like, and what she said is that the Catholic Church has been leading this charge for so long as the forerunners in the pro-life movement. I mean, truly, that there's an exhaustion there and just a kind of, let's just sit back and just rest in this victory, which is awesome. But at the same time, she said, we don't have time to rest, which is correct. And she said, when you take in her experience and as she pulls her different Students for Life um, team, when she kind of pulls them, she said, I think she said like 70% of them chose to enter into pro-life work or be a part of some sort of major pro-life ministry through Students for Life because of their life-changing experience at the March for Life. You know, there's, I know, and there's a, there's a grace and just, just a, a presence of the Holy Spirit that really makes such a huge difference when you go. Now, truth be told, I've never been to the March in DC only because we have always put on local marches wherever we're at. And I always felt like God was asking me to just, no, you need to just stay here and make sure you have something for those who can't go to DC because the whole entire world, you know, the whole entire country needs to know. Um, so I've never actually been, and of course still work in pro ministry full time, but that was really interesting. And she said, because of, you know, this overturn, if we're putting, if we're sitting back, we're putting our feet up and we're not entering into pro-life ministry, especially in Catholic high schools with the urgency that we were before, then she's not going to have her crew, her team as they get older to minister to and to run all the different students for life ministries that are still so necessary. So that was really interesting. And, and that she was speaking directly to the role of the domestic church, the role of parents, the role of, of using Pelican Project material to plant seeds, to have these bite-sized conversations with your kids every day. And, you know, she asked the important question, like, I get asked all the time, how do you keep your kids pro-life? Kelly, what's the answer? You know, she said, I'm sure you have some good advice. So it was a great conversation. We were able to really dig in deep with that. Um, she's a beautiful woman. 
she's stretched so thin. So just pray for her, pray for her kids. I know some of her kids um, struggle with um, some health issues, significant health issues, and also her husband that just supports her incredible work and and their marriage and, and their vocations as parents. So it was awesome. Awesome. That's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. I'm excited for, to have that come out for people to hear that. That's going to be a great conversation. Awesome. And then you also had something else really cool happening. Oh, yesterday. yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. About that part. <laughs> yesterday. So as I've mentioned a hundred times here on Fort Jackson, it is the chaplain, uh, the, the home of the chaplain corps. So my husband is not a chaplain, of course. He, he's over at basic training. But uh, the chaplain corps here, all the chaplains in the United States Army come through Fort Jackson to either go through their initial training, which would be called Chibolic. And then um, there's the C4 um, for captains promotable into major. And these are like leadership style courses that the army puts on to kind of teach a chaplain. How do you be a chaplain in the army? Basically the logistics behind the scenes, how, how you do what you do within the structure of the army. And we have Catholic priests who ask, petition their, their bishop to go into, enter into the military as a priest and to serve as a chaplain as a priest. And we right now had four, six, we had 10 Catholic priests here on post, not including Father uh, Lamour, who is stationed here as the senior priest. And four of them graduated yesterday. And they are just phenomenal men, holy, holy men who are just um, three of them. Two of them came over from Africa and, and chose to they not only are priests, but church chose to serve the United States Army. One's from Poland, and another one is from the great city of Wichita. So, <laughs> so it, it was just super cool to watch them graduate. And uh, me and my friend Elizabeth were there cheering them on. And then I gave them, you know, a, a card and some Pelican Project stuff. And I just, I really pray that our stuff is able to bless them as they minister to families and evangelize because it's really hard to get resources through the military. It's just such a pain, literal pain in the butt just to get things paid for. So free stuff is good. I, I wanted to make sure they knew how we could support them. And, um, I hope, you know, I'm going to, I told them you're all going to get really sick of me and, and me keeping in touch with you, but I'm going to be whatever you need. Let me know. I'm going to be mom. I'm going to send you cookies. <laughs> you can't get rid of me. You can't get rid of me. So yeah, please pray for, for all of them. Um, absolutely. They need your prayers. God bless them. So that's that. It's been a busy few days. And then and then randomly after the graduation, we found out the bishop was there. He was there for the graduation. Then we all ran over to the main post chapel and three of the priests had to leave right away. But then the bishop said mass with one of the priests who had just graduated, basically like chaplain basic training. He gets up, says mass with the bishop. There's like eight of us there. It was just such a cool and holy time. It was just awesome. I love our church. I love the Catholic military community. It's beautiful. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of awesome, we have our Pray, Grow, Serve devotional for this week. And it's sort of just pulling pulling the whole Lent and Easter season together. Definitely. And sort of capping everything off. It's almost like it's Holy Spirit-led. Right? You know, sometimes when we're doing this and I'm like, Crystal, what day is it? What's my name? Who am I? 
like things are just so busy and you're just in the weeds of, of just creating and content and emails and social media and all that. And then you look up and we're following, we had the unvarnished canvas. We had unvarnished canvas. And then of course we have the celebration of Easter. We enter into the Easter season. And as we're Heading into for May and June, we're talking about gender, the masculine and feminine. This last, we have this last pray, grow, serve that kind of caps off what we've done. And it really did pull everything together. Just to step back and to look how beautiful it was. It was definitely the Holy Spirit wanted this one to be here. But this week in our gospel on Sunday, we talk, we read from Luke, Luke 24. But, um, you know, it's, we we spend a little bit of time in Luke on this prayer serve, but we go back to Luke nine, Luke nine twenty three, when he tells his um, his disciples, "You have to pick up your cross daily and follow me." That's how you follow me. You pick up your cross daily, and um, like you said, it everything we've done up until this point, we we have two main takeaways. We have two main takeaways. One that. We have the hope of Easter, the joy of the resurrection, the promise of heaven. But we also recognize that that comes with the cross. And as we move forward and we step into talking about gender and spousal love and and all of these, these topics that speak so directly to trust and resting in God's grace for his design for the human person and family and love and, and who he created us as the masculine and feminine, there is a cross to carry there because the culture directly contradicts, contradicts. Yeah. Words are hard. That's it. Contradicts. It's a very, it's, it's countercultural to be, to be Christian. And that's an understatement of the, of the day. But so here, when we're talking about with our kids carrying our cross. This is, this is one of those conversations that it's kind of, yeah, everyone knows like as a Christian, you have to carry a cross. Like we hear it all the time, you know, like my kids know, we know that's a thing. Things are going to be hard. It's like, okay, yes, but pause. Let's talk about that because for a lot of young people, for a lot of older people, for a lot of parents, when things get hard, sometimes we use that as an excuse to not believe. If God loved me, he wouldn't make me carry this cross. If God loved me, I wouldn't be suffering this. Why um, is he letting this happen? Yeah. Why is he letting this happen? Exactly. So this is a really, really, really important Sunday and week to just take this prayer serve and to sit with your kids and talk to them about the, the crosses they are carrying. They maybe have carried or that they will carry in the future and talk about just allow them to talk about it and to explain how they feel and explain, um, you know, give them the tools as a Catholic, a young Catholic to, to do it in a way that God invites us to, because God tells us to carry our cross, but we never have to carry it alone. So when, you know, when we're reading the gospel, Every single thing that Christ does in his life, we can look to and we must imitate. We look at how he carried his cross. And there's a few really key points here. Obviously, you know, we have Simon of Cyrene. He had somebody physically help him carry this cross. You know, that speaks directly to sometimes we don't want to ask for help. 
Christ didn't ask for help in that moment. You know, he was just kind of like laying there and, but it was the community that was like, Hey, help him. There's something, you know, that, that wasn't written by accident, right? As a community, as a church, we have to recognize, we have to look inward. So, so often I think as a church, we look outward and we're like, okay, where's the next mission field? Where can we go evangelize? It's all important. It's all necessary. But as a body of Christ, we also have to look inward and ask how we can be ministering to our brothers and sisters in Christ, the people sitting in the pews that are suffering. And when you see that, you have a responsibility to say, hey, we need to help this person carry their cross. They might not be asking, but what can I do? And that looks different for every situation, but it's something that we are called to do. Um, so there's there's that, I think that's important. The other thing is that Christ fell three times. You know, when we go through the stations of the cross, we have us fall three times. And so just as a parent, when you're talking to your kids, sometimes our crosses feel like they just decimate us. We are laying on the ground on rock bottom and we're like, this can't literally can't get any worse. And then we pick ourselves up and we fall again. And we're like, Lord, I keep picking myself up and I, it keeps getting worse. I'm in more and more pain. Why is this happening? And so it's so important as a parent to just kind of step back and show, really walk through. I know, you know, we think the time to do this is Lent and it is in a very intentional way, but it's always important to keep Christ's walk and his passion in, in our minds as we're, we're living the Christian life and talking to your kids about how Christ fell is important because they're not going to feel as alone when they say, you know, I keep falling with this cross. I, I am struggling. And then I think the third most important thing to talk about is, you know, I talk about this often. I have four very different children and some of them are open books. Anything that happens, they're going to tell me, even if they know they're going to get in trouble, they're going to tell me because it's like vomit of the mouth. They just can't not say it. But I have a few, one in particular that that kid is a closed book. <laughs> he is a closed book. And I know there are, there are things she's struggling with. And I know there are crosses she's carrying. And as a parent of a teen, like as, you know, as parents, we have to be in tune with what our kids are going through. And I can tell you as somebody who, who works from home, who has mom's hours, who is as about over-involved as you can get. <laughs> Um, you're not going to know everything. Your kids are going to be carrying crosses and you're not going to recognize all the different wounds that that cross inflicts on your child. So what do you do with that as a parent? I think we can feel really helpless. We're struggling for control because we are mom. We are dad. We need to help. We need to fix. We need to empower. And so the beauty of coming off of Lent, having understanding of the cross, then the re the hope of the resurrection, knowing that he is our answer, he is our truth, the way, the truth, the life. But then the beauty of just coming off of Divine Mercy Sunday, where we really have to take those words, Jesus, I trust in you. As a parent, you have to say, I don't know the hidden wounds that my children are struggling with, but you do. And there's this beautiful devotion, and I'm, I'm sure many of you are familiar with it, but I just want to share We're it. We're going to share it anyway. We're going to share it anyways, because maybe somebody doesn't know, and it's always right. worth 
it's always worth just talking about because it might hit you differently, even if you've known about it. Um, and it's the devotion to the sixth wound of Christ, the hidden wound of Christ. And, you know, his wounds, of course, his, his hands were pierced, uh, his feet were pierced, his, uh, um, his, uh, for his head with the, the uh, crown of thorns. And then he had the lance in his side, but the hidden wound of Christ is, was revealed as the wound on his shoulder that is not recorded as one of the most significant wounds on his body from his passion, but it's been revealed in different, um, uh, personal revelation. So Saint, um, we have Saint Bernard of Clairvaux, who back in the 12th century was a French abbot and mystic who he helped uh, restore the Cistercian order. And he had a very uh, beautiful devotion to this hidden wound of Christ. And then also more recently, St. Padre Pio. Um, and he was a Capuchin friar and he, he died in 1968. And he, of course, Padre Pio had the stigmata. He, he suffered the wounds of Christ for a very, very long time. And what is fascinating, and I haven't read his, uh, the book about him, but I have heard, and I have read little snippets here and there that, um, after the, the, the different friars that lived with him would notice that when he would take his clothes off, like his white undershirt would actually have bloody stains on his shoulder that he was truly suffering the wounds of, um, of Christ, including the hidden wound. So I know, and it's just, it's so beautiful. You know, like my son now, if you're listening and you're a grandparent, you're not with your, your little loves all the time, or you're a parent who's some of your children or all of your children are out of the house, they're going to be going through, through things you're just not going to know about. And, um, to just, sit with our Lord and, and our mother Mary, and to just say, Lord, like again, in your perfect providence, you have revealed a part of your journey to the cross, a part of your, your passion that I can connect with so deeply. You have a hidden wound and my child is suffering from a wound that I don't know about. And I just pray that the merits, you know, all of the suffering that he's enduring truly alone, you know, I just offer them up to you and you can just pray that prayer, you know, because our crosses, generally speaking, are pretty visible. People know what we're suffering with to a degree. You know, if I'm sick, I'm struggling in my marriage, I'm struggling in my parenthood, I'm struggling with grades or at work, to a degree, there's going to be somebody who knows. Or that they see that there's something different, but yeah. Not knowing the details, not knowing what it actually is. And that's it. Causing them that's it. strain. Yeah. There are things that when we go home at night, people might know the tip of the iceberg. They don't know. They don't know the full weight of the suffering. And, um, you know, I have friends right now, not just my children, which is also beautiful, but I have friends right now who I'm praying very intentionally for, knowing just... Just in the shift in their, um, like you said, their, the shift that they're, I'm seeing in their, their demeanor. life, their demeanor, yeah. that there is something hidden going on. Um, so I just want to share this prayer. I'll read it if I can find it. This is it. And we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. 
Prayer to the shoulder wound of Christ. Most loving Jesus, meek lamb of God, I, a miserable sinner, salute and worship the most sacred wound of thy shoulder, on which thou didst bear thy heavy cross, which so tore thy flesh and laid bare thy bones, as to inflict on thee an anguish greater than any other wound of thy most blessed body. I adore thee, O Jesus, most sorrowful. I praise and glorify thee and give thee thanks for this most sacred and painful wound, beseeching thee that by exceeding pain and by the crushing burden of thy heavy cross to be merciful to me, a sinner, to forgive me all my mortal and venial sins and to lead me on towards heaven along the way of the cross. Amen. That's really beautiful. That is beautiful. Yeah. And then, so with our prayer serve this week. Yeah. So with our prayer serve, so obviously these concepts can be incredibly difficult for everyone, for adults included, to grasp. It can be even more difficult to try and take that and explain that to a child. So we actually, um, we were trying to come up with a way to, a story that we could tell to sort of do that or an example to give. And we came up with the idea of blown glass. So I'm just going to read this part from the Prego Serve. And it's, have you ever seen a beautiful piece of blown glass? It's an exquisite piece of glass art that has been formed by the hard work and breath of a glasssmith. Blown glass begins as a lump of raw material such as sand and recycled glass and is placed into a fiery hot furnace where it turns into a molten lump of goo. <laughs> the glasssmith works with the material, bending, twisting, and breathing life into it, sometimes close to its breaking point. In time, the material forms into a beautiful piece of art. These pieces of glass move through quite a journey towards perfection by their creator. This is much like the Christian life. Our creator breathes into us, sometimes allowing us to bend and twist by the crosses in our life until we are well-formed. I love that. Me too. I love that. And I think it just, it explains it so well. Like, so when a person asks, why is he letting this happen? Because it's forming you. Amen into the person that you're meant to be. So when you, when you think of, you know, giving your, the Lord the unvarnished canvas of your soul and allowing him to create his masterpiece. So beautiful. I love it. And, you know, you think, why did our Lord fall three times? Why did he meet this shoulder wound? Well, 2,000 years later, we're sitting here talking about Christ's shoulder. Because it is giving us grace and perspective to recognize that there's going to be wounds that other people don't know about. And that's okay because Jesus, I trust in you. You know about it and you're forming me and you're using me as a tool and an instrument to share your love and your light. And I trust in you. And that, that's, that's what we can give to our kids. We, can, we can't take away the cross. We can help them carry it. We can't always know every single thing happening in their hearts, but we can trust that their heavenly father does and we can give them the lens, the perspective through which they can recognize that suffering forms us and it's hard, but our Lord is always with us and there is hope in the resurrection. Amen. Amen.
I think that's it. Friends, we are praying for you. We ask you always, keep us in your prayers. Until next time.